The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. <laughs> he hooked me. I started recording right when that happened. <laughs> Kayla was singing Sweeney Todd to her cat. And her cat did not approve. No, I just tried to put him down and he hooked me. I'm sorry. I can't see it yet, but it'll be there. You know it well. Ouch. I'm sorry. You're cut. <laughs> he just faced away. <laughs> he just turned and faced away. Hmm. Hi, everybody. Hi. Welcome to Mystery Team Inc. Welcome. The podcast. The podcast. The podcast. The podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kayla has a story. Oh, oh, what's the cat doing? What's him doing? Kayla has a story. I have a couple of stories oh, that you I want to. Well, they're not really stories. They're just things that I need you to be aware of. Oh, okay. Here's my story. I went downstairs to borrow my sister's nail polish, mm-hmm. and she was like, "Well, what color did you use last time? Did you use the one that I recommended?" And I was like, "No, I just used dark red, like I always do." And from the other room, she went, "Hmm." That's safe. <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? Leash. And she was like, I'm in therapy for four hours every day. <laughs> oh my God, I love her so uh, much. Hmm. That's, that's safe. safe. <laughs> uh, Rude. I love her. That's my story. I love her. Uh, things that I wanted to bring up to you are... Uh, first of all, did you hear that they opened that scary, spooky black sarcophagus? I read a fake article that was like, they opened it, and then Twitter was like, don't, but they never said what was in it, so I don't know what was oh, in it. Oh, yeah, they opened it. Uh, there's a Gizmodo article called, like, uh, Cursed Black Sarcophagus Opened, comma, sucks. What's in it? Uh, three skeletons, I think all male. One of them with... <laughs> m- I'm already men. uninterested. <laughs> um, one of them has, like, evidence of an arrow wound, so they think that they're soldiers. Cool. But what it is is, like, there were, like, three skeletons in there and then sewage that I guess had leaked in. Yeah, because there was men in there. Right. So it's just all sewage. So it's just, like, garbage. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So everyone's super bummed out because there was no spooky apocalypse. I googled what was in that spooky, scary sarcophagus. <laughs> and it was like, just men, it doesn't matter. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and then the second thing is, my friend Matt texted me today, my friend Matt that I used to work with, who is also an alien enthusiast. Um, oh, and he we texted love me, Matt. And he said, have you seen the trailer for that new show on History Channel, Project Blue Book? What? I know. And I was like, what? No. And I don't have any further information. That's all the... Why would you... Because I just needed you to know that that exists. Did you watch the trailer? No, we're going to have to watch it. God damn it. Because see, if I told you this, then I couldn't tell you on the podcast. I wasn't going to watch it without you. Aww. <laughs> okay, don't make it cute. It's oh not cute. Oh my god, I liked it now. <laughs> um, Great. Oh my god, I can't wait. That's Kayla, and I'm Maggie. Sometimes...
what else am I supposed to say? We're mystery teaming. We're solving mysteries. Well, sometimes. Let's not give them, like, false hope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that we'll get anything productive done. You're right. Um, We're going to um, try to solve mysteries... But we're going to have a ton of fun along the way. <laughs> Maybe the real <laughs> mysteries is the fun or the friends have. we solved along the way. It's not about where you're going. It's about how you get there. Okay. I have a question. You can always you, have a question. Can you hear my chair squeaking? No. Okay. <laughs> okay, ready? Can I crack my beer? Yeah, we got to cerem- ceremonially crack the beer. It's beer one singular today because motherfucking... Because I really wanted a michelada and there are... Go ahead, do it. Uh, Oh, no. (laughs) I really wanted a michelada and there's a liquor store by Kilo's house that sells like those cups with the tahine rim that has like mix in it. And I was like, hey, will you... Like Kayla was grabbing beer and I was like, I really want a michelada. And then she was like, okay, cool. So then I was like, okay, I'll, I guess I'll go find one before I lift over to your house. And I went to three different stores, and none of them had them, even though I know the one by her house has one. So I put the liquor store in my Lyft app <laughs> as a stop and made the man <laughs> drive me to that liquor store. I'm sure he did not mind. So, and he did, took it like a pro. He did not even question it. And then when I went in, I put the cup in my bag so he didn't see what I bought because I was embarrassed. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm really excited for your mystery. Am I first? Yeah. I Okay. Wasn't I first last time? Yeah. I Did I lean more? Here's my thing, though. Mine is really long, and it's like a fun romp. Mm-hmm. Yours is scary, right? It's not scary. It's just like intrigue. Do we want to use mine as a palate cleanser? Yeah, probably. You want me to go first? I'm just wondering, I don't, how creepy is yours? Because if, it's a little creepy. Because if you tell me a creepy story and then we stop recording, I'm going to be scared for the rest of the night. Okay, let's do mine first. I don't care about the listeners. I'm worried about <laughs> myself. Yes, that's fair. <laughs> okay, I will go first then. Because mine is shorter and it it is super interesting. You're going to like it. Okay, give me the motherfucking headphones. Okay. That's the only reason. I just wanted the headphones. <laughs> just so you wouldn't feel lonely? I just don't want to be spooked. Okay. Hold on. Oh, plane? Are we holding for a plane? Holding for a plane. Can we get second team in, please? (laughs) (laughs) Please. Someday we'll have (laughs) stand-ins. I don't really want one. You want to stand and be lit? Yeah. Okay, well, you can all have a stand-in. My skin tone is hard to match. (laughs) Do you think that (laughs) you're going to not have a stand-in because you want to be your own stand-in, and then I'm going to have a stand-in, and what if then you become best friends with her and you replace me with my stand-in? How did you guess my plan? (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hold on, let me listen. We're clear. Okay, great. All right. Sound speed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My mystery is... Who put Bella in the witch elm? Have you? You've never heard of this? No, but I think it was me. Oh, yeah, probably. I don't like her. Okay. Mystery team goes to England. <gasps> Mine's in England, too. I know. April of 1943. Mm. No, World different. War, but World War Decade. II. 
but we're talking World War II. Yours is more fun. Let's go. Okay. (laughs) Four teenage boys were walking through, I don't know if it said Hagley or Hagley, but I looked it up and I found a weird video of a man playing, actually it was a nice video, of a man (laughs) playing a folk song that he wrote about this incident and he never said the word. So I don't know how you say it. I'm sorry. Hagley Woods. Hagley Woods. First of all, I want to hear that song. <laughs> I'll play it for you later. I can't believe you didn't say the word. Hagley or Hagley. Well, doesn't matter. Uh, when one of them wandered up to a witch hazel tree, sometimes known as Scott's Elm or a witch elm. Here's a picture of this spooky motherfucking tree. I use witch hazel every day. I know. Look how spooky that tree is. That this is the tree. I feel much better about using it. This and also, is, that's so fucking This terrifying. is not just a witch elm. This is the witch elm from the story. And I see that it's spelled W-Y-C-H. Yes. Yeah, it's an arcane spelling of the word witch. Love it. Me too. So, 15-year-old, I could not get over this name, Bob Farmer. He's 15. <laughs> First of all, who is calling your 15-year-old son Robert Bob? Because Bob is an old man's name. And also... Bob Farmer. If you have the last name Farmer... Give him a cool name. Yeah, you can't. You can't just be like, Bob. Uh, Bob, Bob. Bob Farmer the Farmer? Okay. (laughs) Uh, That's like Romaine. (laughs) Um, What was his name? From Ken McElroy. What was his name? It was like Crop Romaine or something ridiculous like that. No, Romaine was his first name. What was his last name? Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Was that a bad guess? No, just you just did that because it sounds like Jermaine Jackson. Oh, is that why I did it? Yeah. I thought I did it because I couldn't remember Christopher Jackson's last name last night. <gasps> Which I'm so offended by. I know. Okay. 15-year-old Bob Farmer saw something. <laughs> Sorry. You almost just spit take. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bob Farmer. Bob Farmer sounds like a fake name that you would give. When you're looking around the room yeah. and naming things, like Cat Stapler. Cat uh, oh, Stapler be my agent name? I'm wearing Kim Possible pants today, and I really feel like my, like my Kim Possible secret Kat agent Stapler. name has to be Cat Stapler. Cat no, Stapler is a Nickelodeon heroine. I'm so excited about my new... I've never been so happy with uh, a secret agent name before. I need one. Okay. Can mine be Bob Farmer? Cat <laughs> yeah. Stapler. No, just look and Bob around the Farmer. room. You can be Mike Business Ben. <laughs> we'll post a picture of my business Ben because it's gonna make that funnier. joke way funnier. <laughs> okay. Mike Business Pen. Cat Stapler. Did you guys just We're name other stuff on your desk? No. We're a crime fighting duo. <laughs> Okay, 15-year-old Bob Farmer saw something white poking out of the trunk, and he thought it was a bird's nest, so he got closer to investigate, and he discovered not a bird's nest, but a human skull. Does he In has, that f- scary-ass tree. What? Has he ever seen a bird's nest? Does he has a bird's nest? Is that what you're going to say? Does he even has a bird's nest? I think he thought it was like an egg. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> Uh, I heard that uh, was Cat Stapler. <laughs> she has such a good podcast. Uh, yeah. So this was like legit like 1943 British Stand By Me and they got scared and decided not to tell anyone because they're boys. Um, but Tommy Willits, the youngest, who was 13, fucking Tommy, snitched and told his parents. No, he did the responsible thing. I know, but I just love the idea of like four British schoolboys 
who are like teenagers and like Bob, who's apparently the leader of the group. I don't know who decided to make Bob the leader, but he was like, I'm going to look in this tree. And they were like, oh shit. Oh, You're I really guess. missing an accent. I was just going to say. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, oh, crumpets. That's a human skull. Will you please make them sound like the Oliver orphans? Oh, you want them to be Cockney? Yeah. Oh, but they're like, okay, yeah, yeah. So they're like, Oh, crumpets. That's a that's a human skull. And then they're like, don't tell anyone. Fucking Tommy, I know you're a snitch. And he's like, but guys. But guys, I, I wanna, I'm scared. Don't you think that someone should know? And they're like, no, Tommy. But Bob. Okay, that was just Pinky in the Brain. Yeah. <laughs> Did you just hear me do Pinky? Sure, but Brain. But Brain. Sure, Brain. But how are we going to get the chickens in the fishnets? <laughs> Nuff. Now everyone <laughs> is privy to my secret talent of doing my, the, the voice of Pinky from Making the Brain and the raptor that sings the egg song from Land Before Time. You're welcome. You're a hero. Thank you. So the police sent a team into the woods and inside the witch elm, they recovered the skull, most of a female skeleton, some decomposing clothing, a wedding ring, and a shoe. A hundred yards away, they found her right hand and a matching shoe. So, then, about six months after the discovery, graffiti started popping up around town that just said, and I have a picture, who put Bella down the witch elm? Or some of them say, who put Bella in the witch elm? And then a a dash, and then Hagley or Hagley would. So, the police were like, well, someone knows something. And also, how do they know her name is Bella? And, like, who the fuck is she? So... 75 years later, Bella's... Whoa, 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 whoa. No, I'm just... The, I'm oh, going okay. back, but just so you know, now, 75 years later, Bella's true identity and her murder are still un- unsolved and unknown. We still don't know who she is. But here's what we do know. She was between 35 and 40. She was about five feet tall. She Aww. was murdered approximately 18 to 36 months before she was found. So up to three years before they found her. Because she was a skeleton. She was they like, were decomposed. Like, this murder is 36 months old. Yes. And you were like, that's a three-year-old baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, she was likely interned in the tree immediately after her death because rigor mortis would have prevented her from being put inside the tree in the position that she was in. And a wadded piece of taffeta was found in her throat, so they suspect <gasps> asphyxiation may have been the cause of death. Fancy asphyxiation. Mm-hmm. Like a ballerina. So police contacted every dentist in the county, but her dental records did not provide a match, and she was never identified as any of the missing persons within a thousand square miles of the Hagley Woods. Insert joke about British teeth. I don't have so the what's funny, to come up with it, yes. but, you know. What's funny is that she did have super jacked teeth. Like, her front two teeth were like this. They were, like, almost at, like, a right angle. Like me when I was seven. Yeah, and so they were like, well, th- her teeth are so distinctive that, like, surely if anyone has... A dental record. But clearly no one had a dental record if her teeth looked like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Excellent point. Thank you. So, early theories. At the time, the fact that her hand was found several hundred feet away uh, made a folklorist named Margaret Murray speculate that she had been the victim of a black magic ritual called the Hand of Glory. Yes. Question. question. (laughs) How do you get the job of folklorist? Folklorist. She's an author. But she also studies folklore and mythology, and then oh, she writes. I thought she just, like, made shit up and was like, here you go. Here's your folklore. <laughs> Didn't you know that's where it comes from? That one woman? Yeah. The folklorist. 
She's the one that makes all the folklore. Is she dead yet? Can I inherit the title? Good question. I think you have to fight her for it. I will. Okay. Mine I can arrange that. Really boring. Your what? Your folklore? Oh, no, it's a physical fight. Yeah. I'll fight her. I'm just saying. My <laughs> oh, I thought you thought you were going to oh, have no. a folklore fight. <laughs> we're not going to folklore off. I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to reveal that I'm not a creative writer. You're not going to have a folklore battle. I have defeated her in battle. In hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. Yeah. I have very long legs. I, this I know. Um, so, yeah. So, she told everyone that she thought that she'd been the victim of this, uh, like, a, a, sac- a human sacrifice for a ritual called the Hand of Glory because putting a, putting her in a tree is evidently an arcane way of imprisoning a witch. So, she said... And it's a witch. Elm. Elm. And is that why it's called that? So, uh, also, I made a note... Putting her in a tree is evidently an arcane way of imprisoning a witch. Solve that mystery from Yahoo Answers. How <laughs> do you, you kill really? a witch? Oh, right. <laughs> I accidentally solved it today. You put her in a tree. Um, and they also believe, she also believed that her hand had occult powers. Who believed? Margaret Murray, the folklorist that you're going to find. Believed that this That the hand, hand, now, because of the ritual, was, like, oh. enchanted and could be used for, like, black magic. Um... Great. So, in 1953, a woman contacted the Wolverhampton Express, love that name so much, claiming that she knew Bella's killer. She met with the police in secret, and I guess she, like, leaked, they, like, leaked this information to the press bit by bit. So, it kind of turned into, like... They who? The police? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, she t- met with the police in secret, where she told them that she knew Bella's true identity. She was a spy. <gasps> During World War II, the region near Hagley Woods, and this is true, was a prime target for Nazi intelligence gathering because it had several British munitions factories. Oh, my God. Evidently, that intelligence, this is all true, was used to organize the Birmingham Blitz. Do you know? It's part of the Battle of Britain when they blitzed the countrysides because they were bombing out all those munitions factories. Copy. So... Uh, the woman, who was called Anna, quote-unquote, that was, like, her fake name in the press, uh, told police that Bella had been murdered by a German spy ring after being betrayed, and that those involved in her death included a British officer, a Dutchman, and a music hall artist, which I was like, I think the word for that is just musician, but I'm going with it. I think it's more specific than that. Okay, fine. Well, you can fart, Mar- fart. <laughs> you can fart Margaret Murray about it. I will fart her about it. She claimed that the woman was Clara Bella Dronkers, who Dronkers. was, who was a <laughs> Dronkers, the travel, who was a Dutch woman. In 1968, writer Donald McCormick Hold wrote on. a book. Her name was Clara Bella, and she was like, "My spy name is going to be Bella." Just wait. Okay. In 1968, writer Donald McCormick, yeah, like me, Cat Stapler. <laughs> um, yeah, you, Margaret Cat, Stabile, shorten it to Cat. Perfect. Uh, in 1968, writer Donald McCormick wrote a book titled Murder by Witchcraft, where he asserted that Bella had been a Nazi spy and a cultist named Clarabella. She was apparently a woman known well to several senior Nazi officers and had been recruited by the Abwehr and given the codename Clara. So she was given the codename Clara as her spy name. Okay. Do you have questions? I'm holding my mitten. This is a... You don't have to. (laughs) No, it's fine. Okay. 
Uh, this is a quote from the article that I was reading. He claimed to have gained access to Abwehr records, which indicated that she had parachuted into the West Midlands in 1941, but subsequently failed to make radio contact and disappeared. So he wrote that in 1968. In 1999, when media interest was renewed in the case and led Mercia police to reinvest, uh, to revisit the investigation in the interest of using DNA to identify Bella, they couldn't ascertain where Bella had been buried after they found her. Oh. It turns out that she wasn't buried by the local police. She was sent to the University of Birmingham for further testing, and the police were looking for her in the wrong cemetery. Guys. Then, declassified wartime files. Oh my god, yes. Detail the interrogation of a Czech-born Gestapo agent named Joseph Jacobs, who was arrested after parachuting into Cambridgeshire, it's probably said Cambridgeshire, in January of 1941. So, again, Donald McCormick wrote that book in 1968. He could not have had access to these files, which were not declassified. But he was weirdly on point because... The files of the interrogation of this man, Joseph Jacobs, from 1941. His file at the National Archives contains a photo carried by Jacobs at the time of his arrest. The photo is of a cabaret singer and German (gasps) film actress named Clara Bauerla. (gasps) That's her last name. Clara Bauerla. According to Jacobs, and this is stuff he says in the interrogation. Was she five feet tall? Listen, we're going to get to that, actually. Yes. Okay. So keep in mind, this is the interrogation during the war in January of 1941. So this is years before they find her. About two years before they find her. Hold on, someone's clapping outside. What are they clapping about? The dogs. Ah. Ready? Yeah. Okay, so keep in mind that this is these are files from an interrogation that was held in 1941, which is two years before Bella was found. Okay. Which falls within the window of when she died. Mm-hmm. But also... No one knew she was there. So, uh, according to Jacobs, Clara was his lover, whom he had met while she was singing at the Cafe Dreyer with the Et Orchestra. She was well-connected with senior Nazi officers and had been recruited as a secret agent. <gasps> she was a motherfucking cabaret singer That's who so was friends with some high-ranking cool cool. Nazis, and they were like, you should be a secret agent. I wish that it gets she better. was on the other side of of war. I know. Because that would be so cool. I know. Uh, She was supposed to parachute into the Midlands after Jacobs had landed and established radio contact. Hold on. So they were fucking... They were a team. Also They became a spy spy team. team. Oh my god. I know. That's my dream. Yeah. So he parachuted into the Midlands and she was supposed to parachute in after him. He was supposed to establish radio contact with her and then she was going to parachute in. But when he talked to them in the interrogation, he said, like, likely that wasn't going to happen now because he'd been captured. He didn't establish radio contact. So, like, probably she didn't parachute into the Midlands. Keep in mind, the Bella in the tree does not exist at this point. He's just, they were interrogating him about who that photo was. Yeah. And he was like, it's my girlfriend who's also a spy. She's probably not coming now. You kind of ruined, (laughs) you kind of ruined our date. So, uh, British intelligence learned that Clara had been born in Stuttgart in 1906, so she was 35 at the time. She spent two years working the music halls of the West Midlands before the war and was said to speak English with a Birmingham accent. 
God damn it. So she was like a perfect fucking candidate to be a spy because she could speak English so well that people in Birmingham thought that she was from there. And she was a fucking cabaret singer at the music halls in Birmingham before two years before the war. Cool. I'm so torn by how, how cool it is. It is and also Nazis. And how it's Nazis. <laughs> uh, okay. They also noted that the name Clara Barla may have actually been converted into the name Clarabella as a stage name for the English audiences. Yeah. She may have been going by Clarabella brand to yourself. the English audiences. Yes, exactly. Not literally, but like create a brand of yourself. Yes. And then this goes back to, again, first of all, it goes back to Donald McCormick who said like, it was someone who it was a woman who was supposed to parachute who was parachuting into the Midlands but didn't establish radio contact. So maybe she did parachute in and then tried to establish radio contact with him and didn't because he'd been captured. Mm-hmm. And also Anna, the woman that went to the police, said that there was a guy from the music hall involved, and I was like, "What's a music hall person? That's just a music like." It's all coming together. So, interestingly enough. After doing some research on Clara Barla, historians discovered that there are not, to anyone's knowledge, any gramophone recordings, live performances, or movie appearances of hers after the spring of 1941. Fuck. Wait, this is so cool. I know. (laughs) Inconsequential, but interestingly, Joseph Jacobs was the last man to be executed at the Tower of London. (gasps) Nuh-uh. He was executed by firing squad after failing to convince M15 that he could be turned... How do you... Is it M15 or M15? What do you call the British? It doesn't matter. Uh, he failed to convince them that he could be turned. Because in interrogation, he was like, I can work for you. And they were like, mm-hmm. you're a fucking Nazi. And they executed him at the Tower of London. No, they were like, um, you gave up your hot girlfriend. We don't believe you. Right. So that is far and away the best explanation. But in 2016, a little digging revealed Clara Bauerla's death certificate, determining that she died in Berlin on December 16th, 1942, of a lung infection possibly pneumonia, and Varanol poisoning. So they say. Varanol was a barbital known for its hypnotic properties, and in the early half of the 20th century, Varanol was as popular sleeping aid as it could be acquired without a doctor's prescription. So they were like, uh, they didn't know if she OD'd or if she did it on purpose or if what it was, but she died because she, like, had to uh, because I guess it's super addictive and so you build up a tolerance to it over time and you take oh. more and more of it and so she took too much and she died. Are we sure that was her though? That's my fucking theory and because no one else says this. Spy? I said so it's probably not Clara although I personally think that if she was a fucking German spy she could have easily faked her own death. Easy. Uh, and people also claim that it couldn't be Clara because Clara was known to be six feet tall. But I think that's probably just because she was wearing goddamn heels when she was, because she was always performing cabaret. And it was the 40s and everyone wore heels. You think she was wearing 12 inch heels? No, I just think that people saw her on stage and had no real concept of how tall she actually was. Oh, no one measured. Right. No guy at a cabaret was like, bring me my ruler. Right. I also feel like maybe... Like, short dudes were just like, she's six feet tall. That's yeah. why she's so tall next to me when they were really just, they were 5'8". They were 5'8", and she was wearing 7-inch heels. Right. Well, and, or well, like, like, or 2 or 3-inch heels. But let's like, say they were 5, being, okay, it was... Point being, they just had a mis... I think they just misconceived how tall she was, and I also think that she fucking faked her own death. And no one on the internet is on board with me about that. It, are anyone... Is anyone on the internet like, she definitely didn't fake her own death? No, because the only way that I know that she died in Berlin is there's one source about it where someone who apparently was like a, is like 
a big fan of her like work as a German film actress or whatever, like got super into this and, and also into the connection that she may supposedly be this person that they found in the tree. Um, and so he like went to the archives and did some digging and actually found her, her death certificate. Yeah, but you can fake a death certificate. I agree. Especially in wartime Germany. Are Absolutely. you fucking kidding me? Especially if they want you as a spy. Come yeah, on. the government just makes that for you. Open your eyes, sheeple. <laughs> <laughs> also, important to note that the hospital that she supposedly died in where the death certificate was issued was, like, way far away from her house. Like, there was no reason that she would have been there. No, it's all no, too fishy. No. No. Whoever on the internet is so, a big fan is wrong. Who is she? Can't we just test her DNA? <laughs> At certain points over the decades, that's the title of this section that I wrote. Yeah. This is like the end, by the way. At certain points over the decades, the bones were stored by the West Midlands Police, the West Midlands Police Museum, and a Birmingham Forensics Lab. Officials from all of these locations have scoured their records and storage and could not locate the bones. Her bones are lost. We can't DNA test her them. What? What? Well, we'll never know. Her maybe. bones are all gone. No one can find them. Okay, that's one of two things. It's either the fucking government or a shitty intern. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. I literally, I legitimately think it probably is a. Sh- it's like it's just shitty I miscommunication. Think it's a shitty intern. Because this, and we know this. The police do this all the fucking time. They just lose evidence. It happens on the TV show Bones all the time. <laughs> but it really does like happen all the fucking time. And it's every time I listen to like an episode of My Favorite Murder. And they're like, yeah, we don't know, because also then they lost those fingerprints. And you're like, how? Easy. They don't give a shit. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. But, um, yeah, and so this story, people still to this day occasionally scrawl graffiti on the walls of uh, Birmingham that say, who put Bella in the witch elm? And it's something that, like, in the past, like, 50 years, like, kids would, like, whisper to each other on the playground. Like, it was, like, a weird, it became, like, a weird cultural phenomenon. Yeah. I also accidentally ended up on Reddit, uh, No Sleep, which was a terrible mistake. But someone wrote a really good one where they were, like, I, like, you know, I'm, like, I'm here because I need everyone's help. Uh, I haven't slept in days. I was going through... Like my, I like my. We moved my nan and my grandpa into a retirement home, and I was tasked with moving some of their stuff. And I found all these old journals and all this old stuff. And I was going through it, didn't give it a second thought, until I flipped open one of these old uh, journals from like 1941, and it just said all over the page in different sized writing, "I put Bella in the witch elm." I know, no sleep. Um, and it made me so mad that I read it because then I had to just shut my computer and go outside. Like, I couldn't stay Is that there anymore. You texted me that you creeped yourself I, yeah, out. Yeah. I texted Kayla and I was like, I scared myself. <laughs> and then I went and got a donut. Yeah. Because I ate too much pizza and my tummy hurt. So I got a donut to make myself feel better. That's how you fix that. <laughs> yeah. So but, that is the mystery of who put Bella in the witch elm. That's so I good. think it's a spy. That's, I... Cat stapler. FBI. <laughs> Hold on, this just cut out. Why? No, it didn't. My ear broke. <laughs> <laughs> My ear stopped working. Oh, again? Oh, so weird. Cool. That's such a good story. I love that story. It got so much better when she was a cabaret singer. I know, that's the I best. I love that. And mm. it's okay because we don't like her because she's a Nazi, so that's, it's okay that she died. Yeah. But it's still she a super like cool story. She was actively a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing is, that solves, maybe we solved her identity. 
We still don't know how she died or who put her in a fucking tree in the forest. And why was her hand cut off? We don't know. I feel like, I was just thinking this, I feel like I got so caught up in the, like, fun, sexy intrigue of being a spy. That we didn't solve the mystery. That I forgot how weird it is that someone put her in a tree. And her hand was, like, however far away. So, yeah, so, uh, like, theorists and I think police said that they thought that maybe, like, a a scavenger animal had, like, run off with her hand, which doesn't really, doesn't make sense to me. Do you know anything about, like, how it was, like, what it, the, like... No, but it was with the shoe. looked like, no, there's no way that it was. I think it was that she had been betrayed by someone. Like, I think it was, I think it was British. But why the hand? Uh, Probably as like a torture or to like get secrets out of her. Oh. Like, I think probably what happened was she probably was parachuting either into that forest or nearby or whatever. She came into town with her parachute or whatever. She couldn't establish radio contact with Joseph. She probably fucked herself and was either betrayed herself or was betrayed by someone else. Because uh, they said Anna said that she was like um, killed by a German spying. So she either fucked up and the Germans killed her because they knew that she was gonna blow the operation, or British. It was like a inglorious bastard situation where British guys interrogated her and cut off her hand. To try to get information out of her about the... wouldn't they be... I mean, I guess I answered my own question as I was thinking the question. The question was, wouldn't they be more careful with the fucking hand? But then it's like, no, it doesn't fucking matter. She's a Nazi spy. It doesn't matter. You just toss it in the woods. Toss it in the woods. And assume something's going to eat it. And clearly they were were right because no one found it for three years. And also, what, are they going to get in trouble for killing a Nazi? Right. And then they just put her in the tree to hide her. That's very true. Because they knew no one would find her there. I'm okay with it. (laughs) <laughs> I think we solved it, but also we don't know. We still don't know. We have no, we have no idea. And I love that this story is like she was found in a tree, and her hand was however many yards away. But the more important part is that she was a camera singer, yes, and a spy with her. Who lover. she is is like way more interesting it's than what happened to her, which is weird because usually it would be the, it's less the other way around. But what makes me so mad is that we'll never know, like, what happened on that yeah, night. Yeah, because fucking intern. And I want to see, like, a movie of that night where she, like, gets into trouble with, like, a yes. Brit. She's, she's at the music hall, and she befriends a British officer <gasps> who doesn't know that she's a spy. Oh, my God. And they go out to the woods to make out or something, because she's yes. going to steal British intelligence secrets. But he knows. She doesn't know that he knows. <gasps> and then he, this? yeah, for sure. And then the Dutchman that betrayed her or whatever comes out from the fucking trees. And then they're like, you're going to tell us the secrets. She's like, no, you're not. And they're like, we'll cut off your hand. She's like, no, you fucking won't. And they did it. And, and then she was like, like I don't fuck, give a fuck, I'm not going to tell you, shoot me. like, family guy, like, <laughs> blood. blood from her stump. But I think then, too, that, like, what happened? They cut off her hand and they were like, tell us. And she was like, no. you'll have to kill me first. And, and they, they just had to kill her. That's the other thing is that because it was just a skeleton, we don't know how she died. But there was that... Didn't you Taffeta in her a, throat. Didn't you say there was an arrow wound? That was the sarcophagus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now you're mixing them up. Oh, but, man. But she had taffeta in her throat, which makes me think that she was fucking at a cabaret. She must have she was been wearing, wearing a, dress. A, a dress. And they put it in her mouth to stifle her fucking screams when they... You're so right. ...tortured her and then killed her. And they you're were so like, right. they like took it out of her mouth and they were like, tell us. And she was like, no. And they shoved it back in her throat and they were like, yeah. you're a Nazi. We don't care. Yeah. I think you're right. That's amazing. Isn't that so cool? 
That's amazing. That's the story of who put Bella in the witch elm. I mean, Cat Stapler. The, it's not the story of who put her in the witch elm. It's not at all. It's the question is who the fuck is Bella? But that's what the mystery is called. Who the fuck is Bella? <laughs> that's called. <laughs> no, it's based on the graffiti. Also, that whole thing with the graffiti generally has just been like dismissed as pranksters. No, but it is a little weird that someone would know the name Bella. I bet it was fucking Bob Farmer. You think Bob did that? He was clearly a punk. I think it was Anna and company. I think uh, it was the woman that went to the police. That makes more sense. I think she knew her. Yeah. And she probably didn't know. She probably knew that she was a spy, but they were probably friends or something. And she was like trying to get some kind of fucking attention. Yeah. For the case. And then it never happened. So then she finally just went to the fucking police. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Yeah. Man. Yeah. That's such a good fucking story. Ah! Oh, Bella. Should we take a break? Yeah, I have to pee. Okay. Great. Yay. We'll be back after these messages. And we're back. And we're back. I love that that's what we do now. Yeah. Eventually we'll have ads. (laughs) (laughs) Someday someone will let us do an ad for Project Blue Book. This is not the first time you sang that on this podcast. It's my favorite song. I think the last time you sang it was the Baby Paul episode. <laughs> but no, oh, what you sang, oh, sorry, that you're singing Fievel Goes West. Yeah. I was thinking Maybe. about when you sang Annie because <laughs> Baby Paul. Maybe far away. Yeah. You guys, can you tell I grew up doing musical theater? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was not the first indication. It was the crippling self-doubt and need for approval. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Ouch. You say that like we don't talk about the fact that we both are plagued by those things every day. I really am. You know, that's why we have a podcast that no one listens to. We, we <laughs> just like, like to hear ourselves this talk. This episode is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> no one listens to it. But someday we'll have um, ads. Oh, God, I hope so. I hope it's for... Casper mattress. Yeah. Because I want a mattress. Yeah. You get that swag and you get a hundred day guarantee. Or. Don't plug it. What's Wait, that they're not paying. <laughs> what's that Swedish furniture company? Oh, fuck. Swedish furniture company has a website only. Why a website only, you ask, Karen? I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> because price matters. <laughs> We can't plug these people. We can't plug Swedish furniture. Gummy stuff. hair things. I skip the ads. Oh, I, I only have like a... F- yeah, me too. No, not fit tea. Um, no, I was... Ab- honey oh. bears. I was yes anding you. Oh, my weird puppet tone. <laughs> I was yes anding your weird puppet tone. Okay, are you going to do a mystery now? Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. Okay. So, <laughs> this one I found like a couple months ago and I was like, eh. <laughs> And then I started looking into it today, and it made me giggle so much that I was like, I have to. Yeah. So this is the story of the death of Richard Lancelin Green. <laughs> when you texted me that, I was like, I swear to God, Lancelin sounds like a toddler's and Tierra's yeah. girl. <laughs> like, like, Lancelin did not do her beauty the way that we practiced, but she's the prettiest girl up there. And she's not. And then Cambry is like, Lancelin is a pretty fierce competitor. Like, 
she's like a really pretty kid. That's why I brought her this weekend <laughs> to Fresh Faces Star yeah. Hair. And Jamie is like, Lancelin was, I used to coach Lancelin, and that's why her routine is now the same as all of Cambry's kids, but you can tell that I trained her because she's the best. And you know what? I just like wish her the best and like, you know, it's all about like them having fun. Yeah. But that zebra is over 20 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> but there was supposed to be a weight limit on pets. <laughs> Your stank daughter. <laughs> My computer wants me to know that you peaked. Wow. It was like, we detected feedback. I peaked years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, new idea. An app that tells you when you peak. Based on like, it's got to be based on like your Instagram and analytics. Your So it'll be like, you podcast. peaked two weeks ago yeah. with that post. Yeah. It's all downhill That's from here. Rough. It's all downhill from two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you know. Yeah. Dang. Okay, Lancelin. Okay, so Lancelin. She really likes to be outdoors, but I think she really likes pageants. Cut to Lancelin being like, I want to pick my boogers. I want to eat worms. I love the girl who just wants to eat worms. worms. Me too. Okay, we're way off track. Always, yeah. Okay, so We started off track. (laughs) I was born off track. Yeah. So, the death of Richard Lancelin Green. I took 99% of this information from a New York Times article called mysterious circumstances colon the strange death of a sherlock holmes fanatic <gasps> oh my god i'm so excited by a wonderful man named david grand who did way too much work on this story i'm so i've never been so excited and i just want to like give a shout out to him because this is all your work sorry i also just love sherlock holmes so get much. the fuck ready i was gonna do like a hound of baskervilles episode that's based on the fuck ready okay i'm ready Hold so, on, let me click my seatbelt in. Yeah, buckle up. So, Richard Lancelin Green was born on July 10th. Happy birthday. I don't care about his birth. His <laughs> You just tried to interrupt me and be mean, and you said birth. <laughs> Richard Borth Green. I don't care about his birth. Get to his death is what I was going to say. Okay, so. No, I'm kidding. He was born in Bevington, Cheshire, England. He was a, okay, I wrote, Green was a collector of Sherlock Holmes-related material and was a co-editor, along with a man named John Gibson, of the first comprehensive bibliography of Arthur Conan Doyle. Cool. What that means is he was a huge fucking nerd. Right. This is a story full of nerds. Yes. Our people. So, this article, a lot of it, I just took direct quotes because the way that he wrote it and the way that these people behave is so silly. Okay, so here's the first fun quote. (laughs) Not long after Green turned 13, he carried an assortment of artifacts from local junk sales into the dimly lit attic of Poulton Hall, which is his home. Because British people name their homes. Right, they name their houses. Yeah. The Manor of Clerkworks. (laughs) (laughs) Clerkworks Manor. Um, Okay. So up in the attic, Green assembled his objects to create a strange tableau. There was a rack of pipes and a Persian slipper stuffed with tobacco. There was a stack of unpaid bills, which he stabbed into a mantle with a knife. There was a box of pills labeled, quote, poison, empty ammunition cartridges, and Trump delay bullet marks painted on the walls, parentheses, quote, I didn't think the attic would stand up to real bullets, he later remarked, close parentheses. Also, that's what I'm doing with all my bills from now on. Stab them into a mantle. Yeah, yeah. with like a, like a letter opener. Oh, obviously. A preserved snake, 
a brass microscope, and an invitation to the gas fitters ball. Finally, outside the door of the room, Green hung a sign, quote, Baker Street. When we have a real office, mm-hmm. we're going to need to get an interior designer, and I'm going to need you to just hand them a piece of paper with that paragraph printed on it. I feel like we can probably do that ourselves. <laughs> and just be like, this is what we need this the room to look like. Yeah. Uh, relying on the stray details sprinkled throughout Conan Doyle's stories, Green had pieced together a replica of Holmes and Watson's apartment. One so precise that it occasionally drew Holmes aficionados from other parts of England. One local reporter described the uncanny sensation of climbing the 17 stairs, the same number specified in the stories, as a tape recording played in the background with the sounds of Victorian London. The rumble of cab wheels, the clopping of horses' hooves on cobblestones. <laughs> By then, Green had become the youngest person ever inducted into the Sherlock Holmes Society of London, where members sometimes dressed in period costumes, high-waisted trousers, and top hats. That's not even something I knew I wanted to be a part of until just now. Just wait. How do I get into that club? You don't want to. Oh. And then it goes on to, like, describe what the Sherlock Holmes Society is like, which is just a bunch of fucking nerds. Mm -hmm. But they used to play a game where they would try to use, like, Sherlock Holmesian logic to reconcile the inconsistencies in all of the Sherlock Holmes books. Because... Arthur Conan Doyle just, like, kind of whipped out the books and yeah. was like, here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one. Right. So, so there like, were... for example, in one book, Watson is like, oh, I was, in like, shot Injured in the in shoulder the war, in yeah. Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And then in another book, he's like, it's my leg. Right. So they would, like, try, they would get together and, like, come up with reasons that, like, those inconsistencies existed. And Green once said, he was quoting the founder of a group called the Baker Street Irregulars which you'll learn about. The quote is... I actually is, do know about them. You know about the mm-hmm. Baker Street Irregulars? Yeah, I do. Okay. Didn't I talk about them on another podcast episode? I don't know. Yeah, I do. I do. Okay, yeah, go on. I think you may have. Yeah. Little nerds. Yeah. They're a bunch of nerds. Mm-hmm. So the founder said, quote, never had so much been written by so many for so few. <laughs> <laughs> the few, the proud. Okay. So he was like an obsessive collector of everything Arthur Conan Doyle, like, shit that he had touched and, like, shit he had written. So for two decades, he had been looking for a lost trove of, like, letters and diary entries and manuscripts written by Arthur Conan Doyle, and it was estimated to be worth nearly $4 million and was also said to be followed by a curse. Cool. What year is this again? Tell me. So. Now? The papers disappeared in 1930. Okay. He started looking, I think, in the 50s. Okay. No, he was born in the 50s. So he started looking in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, so the papers disappeared in 1930 after Arthur Conan Doyle died. And they included so much that in order to write a definitive biography, which Green was trying to do, he needed them. Like, it was impossible without right. them. So, not long after he launched his investigation, he discovered that one of his five children, named Adrian, had, with the other heirs' agreement, he took them and he took all the papers and locked them in a room in a chateau in Switzerland. Oh, shit. With the heirs, the other heirs' agreement. Then, secretly, he took some of them out to sell them to collectors. And then in the middle of doing this scheme... 
he died of a heart attack. And that's where the legend of the curse comes from. Okay, yeah. And then after his death, they vanished. And Green was, like, trying... He, like, was following all these, like, little intricate leads like a nerd. It says... Uh, whenever he tried to probe further, he found himself caught in an impenetrable web of heirs, including a self-styled Russian princess who seemed to have deceived and double-crossed each other in their efforts to control the archive. Oh my god, I love yeah. it. So he was looking for years, and he ended up on the doorstep of um, Jean Conan Doyle, his youngest daughter, who's a dame, because she fought in a war, because she's a badass. Love that. So he, like, went to her door, and he was like, hi, I know I might sound like a lunatic, but, like, I have good intentions. And she invited him in. She was in her, like, 70s. And they talked, and she was like, you should come back soon. And he came back soon, and she showed him some boxes that had been stored in a London solicitor's office. And in those boxes was part of the archive he'd been looking for. Oh, my God, he found it. And she was like... I can't show you it yet because of, like, this ongoing family dispute, but I want to give them to the British Library so that scholars can have access to them. Right. She died in 1997, and then nothing happened. So, like, the papers weren't given to the British Library. Mm. And then, fast forward to March 2004... He's, like, reading the newspaper, and the London Sunday Times announced that the archive had turned up at this auction house called Christie's, and they were selling it in May for millions of dollars. And it was being put up by three of his distant relatives. And Green was like, absolutely not. It has to be given to a library and not sold to private collectors because it needs to be available to scholars. To scholars, yeah. Yeah. So he went to Christie's and then went and told his friends that he was certain that many of the papers were the same as the ones that he had already seen and that they had been stolen. Mm. And he had proof. So then he went to all of the Sherlock nerds around the world and was like, hey, 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 all this shit is being auctioned off. We can't let it happen. And here's why. I have Dame Jean's will. (gasps) Oh, Mm -hmm. he had the will? And it says... What, stabbed to his mantelpiece? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited that he had... How did he get her will? It doesn't say. It says, but the will said, quote, I give to the British Library all of my late father's original papers, personal manuscripts, diaries, engagement books, and writings. Did he forge the will? No. He really had it. He really had it. Yes. Our man. Ish. Lancelin. So then all the nerds got together and they went to Parliament and they were like, look, you can't let this shit get auctioned off. So toward the end of March... The campaign was intensifying, and their objections started appearing in the press, and Green said to his sister, whose name is Priscilla West, that someone was threatening him. Uh-oh. And then he sent her a cryptic note containing three phone numbers and the message, please keep these numbers safe. And then he called a reporter from the London Times warning that, quote, something might happen to him. Stop. I'm yeah. so intrigued. On the night of Friday, March 26th, he had dinner with a longtime friend named Lawrence Keene, who later said that Green had confided in him that, quote, an American was trying to bring him down. 
After they left the restaurant, Green told Keen that they were being followed and, like, pointed to a car. Oh, my God. This is so good. The same evening, Priscilla called her brother and then got his answering machine multiple times. He didn't answer. So then she called the police and was like, go check on him. Uh, And they broke open the door. And they found Green lying on his bed, surrounded by Sherlock Holmes books and posters, with a cord wrapped around his neck. And he had been garroted. So. Oh. My God. Okay. So. The author, David Grant, who wrote this amazing article, contacted John Gibson, who wrote the biography of Arthur Conan Doyle with Green. And (laughs) so this is when the fun quotes start, and I label them fun quotes. Yeah. This is directly from the article. I have a file for you, he said as we drove off in his car. As you'll see, there are plenty of clues and not a lot of answers. He sped through town, past a 12th century stone church and a row of cottages, until he stopped at a brick, a red brick house surrounded by hedges. <laughs> Quote, You don't mind the dogs, I hope, he said. I've two cocker spaniels. I only wanted one, but the person I got them from said that they were inseparable, and so I took them both and they've been fighting ever since. <laughs> <laughs> They're all that sounds like my mom. fucking characters from a novel obviously and they really talk like this because that's what they want it's unreal and i love it so that that was when the guy that wrote the new york times article went to go meet with the guy that wrote the book with yes and the article is from december of 2004 right and he green died in march of 2004 so green died and then this guy started investigating and like was in contact with all these people who knew him the entire year did some just gorgeous investigative I'm obsessed with us. Yeah. Here's another fun quote. <laughs> Gibson said that he had attended the coroner's inquest and taken careful notes. And as he spoke, he picked up a magnifying glass beside him and peered through it at several crumpled pieces of papers. I write everything on scraps, he said. <laughs> Me too. Because they just like Same. are living in, in a Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes, Holmes novel. Yeah. They're so cute and they're so lame. So this is what Gibson said police found at the scene. They found that he had been garroted with a black shoelace. Hmm. There was a wooden spoon near his hand. There were several stuffed animals on the bed, which is never, doesn't get addressed again. Just a heads up. <laughs> there was a partially finished bottle of gin, and there was no sign of forced entry, so the police ruled it a suicide. But there was no note. What he did was... It was someone he knew. He let them in. They had a drink. They had a gin drink. He made a stew with a wooden spoon. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the man with the black shoelace garroted him. What about the stuffed animals? Loneliness. <laughs> <laughs> it Great. was deadly loneliness. And you solved it's it. A ca- it's a case of... <laughs> it's a case of just... Malignant loneliness. loneliness. <laughs> I That's what happens. Malignant loneliness. That's what happens when you're in the fucking Sherlock Holmes Society from age 16. 13. Oh, 13? Yeah. Oh, I think said 16. Wow. Yeah. There was an American. <gasps> the American comes into play. Don't worry. B-H-O. Barack Hussein Obama. 
Is that it killed? Yes. <laughs> Another mystery solved. Great. Oh my god, I love this mystery. Right, I'm thank so you excited. For listening. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay. So, so they ruled it a suicide, but there was no note. And he would have left a note. Yeah. Yeah. So this man named Sir Colin. He Barry, lived for notes. He lived for notes. <laughs> that comes in later. Okay, great. Uh, so Sir Colin Barry, who is the president of the British Academy of Forensic Sciences testified to the coroner that in his 30-year career, he had only ever seen one successful suicide by, by garroting. Because if you are trying to solve garrot, you basically just pass out. Yeah. You don't die. Right. Um, it was also Do not... Do you want to give a, like a th- more thorough definition of what that means? Garroting? Mm-hmm. Where you, like, wrap something around someone's neck and pull it till it... Right. But it's them, not right? the same... Yeah. It has to go through your neck. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So he wasn't just strangled. It, like, went through his neck, and it was a fucking shoelace. Right. The amount of force that you would have to... Yeah. Right. Um, And then Colin Barry, Sir Colin Barry, excuse me, said, uh, the cord was not a thick rope, but a shoelace, which would make it even more unlikely that he did it to himself. Um... And then Gibson said... Also, I'm sure this isn't in there, but it wasn't like his shoe was missing a lace, was it? Oh, are we getting that? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Not like... It doesn't come in a lot, but it comes in to the point where I I wrote a parenthetical note. Okay. So Gibson says, I spoke to Green multiple times during the week before his death and hours before he died, and the police never talked to me. Oh, fuck. And he like... in. Typical dramatic Sherlockian fashion. He in the article he goes Gibson like produced a sheet of paper with numbers on it. It was his phone record, and he went. I taught like he like presented it to him. Yeah, because they're all over dramatic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so he spoke to him a bunch of times. The police never talked to him. They were like, it's a suicide. Whatever. Bye. And then. <laughs> During This is a quote from the article. During one of their last conversations about the auction, because everyone was really mad about the auction because they're nerds, Gibson recalled Green had said he was afraid of something. You've got nothing to worry about, Gibson told him. No, I'm worried, Green said. Why are you not doing an accent? What? (laughs) You fear for your life? You think they're Cockney? No, but that's more fun to do. Okay. Okay, let me do it again. I think they're hybridish. Yeah. Yes. Because they're Sherlockian. Listen, I don't really know the differences between all the British accents. Okay. But I'll do my best. I'll teach you later. Okay. You've got nothing to worry about. How's that? That's great. Yeah, you just go Hermione instead of Great. Oh, I can do Hermione. Yeah. But but it's a man. (laughs) Harry. You've got nothing to worry about, Gibson told him. No. I'm worried. Yeah, you're doing the Hermione eyebrows. That's what makes it. Green said... Perfect for the podcast. What? Yeah. It's a visual medium. <laughs> what? You fear for your life? I do. Yeah. Spooky. So Gibson didn't take the threat seriously. The, was that their wedding vows? <laughs> it was really cute. No, not him. Uh, Gibson didn't take the threat seriously, but he told Green not to open the door unless he knew who it was. Oh, that hurts my feelings. <laughs> yeah. Fun quote from the article again. Foot fact. <laughs> Fun fact. There was something else, he said. Something critical. Stop looking over there like that. Mm. Creep me out. Mm. (laughs) Sorry. There was something else, he said. Something critical. 
On the eve of his death, he reminded me, Green had spoken to his friend Keane, Lawrence Keane, about a, quote, American who was trying to ruin him. Barack Hussein Obama. Yeah, obviously. The following day, Gibson said, he had called Green's house and heard a strange greeting on the answering machine. Instead of getting Richard's voice in this sort of Oxford accent, which had been... I'm sorry. Instead of getting Richard's voice... No, I'm doing Australian. I can't do it. (laughs) Did you do that? No. What was that? I don't know. Scary. That really scared me. Me too. I thought you did it. Oh, I didn't. (laughs) Okay. Go back. Okay. I'm uncomfortable. Can I turn more lights on? Yes. <laughs> also, will you close that bathroom door? <laughs> what is that? We're back okay. in. We're back in. So. <laughs> you may have noticed that something utterly terrifying just happened. I have honestly never been that scared in my entire life. I've been held up at gunpoint. I've had a cockload of gun in my mouth. That was the scariest moment. I've also never truly run out of a room in terror. <laughs> I've never... I've s- run up the stairs no. in the dark because I was afraid of what was downstairs. I've never in my entire life I have never run out of that. a fully lit room. Because, never. Because I've also never had Kayla yelling at me, okay... <laughs> Kayla has never moved that quickly in her life. She was in the room. You heard Even what happened. A ten minute mile. I've never moved. <laughs> you heard what happened. She was in the room with me. I turned around and she was gone. And I just heard her from fifty feet away go, "Maggie, come downstairs now." Do you want to explain what happened? Here's what happened. So you heard it. There was the first thump. Yeah, there was a spooky noise. We were like, "Oh, what was that? Did you do that?" And then I, I was like, "Maybe I'll turn on some lights." As I was doing that, we heard a second fucking thumb. And it was louder. And it was louder. And 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 scarier. (laughs) Scarier. And so I was like, there's either... Out of here. Either the ghost of my aunt is in here, or the cave goblin who lives in the attic is up here. Yeah, I think it's important to note that Kayla's apartment shares a wall with an attic that spans the entire length of the main house. And it's so, just a door at an end of a hallway. Like, it's the creepiest It just goes possible. to nowhere, and it's terrifying in there, and I don't even like looking at it. I don't like looking and at that, it. And that wall is right behind her. So, I assumed that Cave we were going to die. Right. <laughs> so, I <clears throat> was on my way to turn off, to turn on lights, and I heard the second one, and I was like, we have to get the fuck out of here, because something is going on. So Maggie and I both ran downstairs into the, like, main part of the house. Screaming. Screaming. And then we look outside in the backyard, and I see my motherfucking sister. Who we talked about earlier. Who we talked about earlier. Standing there. Smiling. Like nothing had happened. And I opened the door, and we were like, was that you? And she was like, yeah. This bitch. <laughs> Alicia, do you want to tell yeah, them what you did? We brought her up here because it was so good. Okay, what did you do? Uh, well, I went outside. I went outside to smoke. And I was like, hmm, what if... <laughs> what if I just, like... Well, I was looking for soft things to throw. Because first I was like, what if I threw a rock? But then what if the window broke? Yeah. Oh, shit. oh. <laughs> 
Okay. And then, so... You don't have a dog up here. That's for the cat. Okay. I went scourging for some soft things, and (laughs) I found some bark that we had, and I decided to throw it out the window. First, kind of (laughs) like, is it, was it breakfast club kind of thing? Like, throw out the window, hope and look outside, and be like, oh, hey, what's up? Yeah. But it didn't work out like that. (laughs) (laughs) And I heard them scream. And I was like, my work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much. You're my queen. I love that it was also like well intentioned. Like she was like Romeo she and Julietting us, like, where she was like throwing rocks at the window. Like, yeah, hey. I was trying to do it softly. Like, hey, sister, how movie? are you? What is that movie with John Cusack where he throws? Say anything. Say anything. Oh, with the boom that's box? what I was thinking. Yeah, we were boombox. Trying to say anything, boombox us. Yeah. But we were. T- she was telling but a was- story <laughs> about someone getting murdered, and so we took it not as a romantic '80s romp through. <laughs> As a adulthood, but as a cave goblin that lives in your attic trying to murder us. It was, and it was because the bark, it's like landscaping bark for rich white people. Mm. It's it, soft and it made this very like reverberant. It made the exact sound that I would assume a ghost knocking on a window would make. Yeah. We're right next to a if window. It had been, was if you had of. thrown a rock... I would have been like, why oh, that's is my sister throwing right. rocks at the window? It was the bark that fucking did <laughs> it. It was the bark that did it. And then I was like, is it the, like, I tried to come up with some kind of logical explanation for the sound. There was none. And there wasn't one. Also, one of Kayla's greatest fears is, because she lives on the second story, and one of her greatest fears, when we podcast, when we record our podcast, she is facing a window on the second story, and her greatest fear is that she's going to look up at that window and see a face in it. And yeah, so I'll she always looks, she constantly looks out that window because she's terrified of it. Yeah. God, that, that was, was such a good prank. So brilliant. Um, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank I you for this beautiful, that. dramatic moment on her yeah. podcast. <clears throat> so. Okay. And we're what? back. Now we're actually back. From a terrifying nightmare. Go on. So. Oh my god. Where were we? <laughs> so we were at uh, Gibson. The voicemail. Yeah, okay, so the voicemail, the like, the message that was like, hello, you've reached, was um, an American voice. <gasps> Barack. Yes, it was Barack. And but what Gibson, did it say? It was just like, sorry, it said, quote, sorry, not available. Yeah. And Gibson said, What year was this? 2004. Just wait. Don't guess okay. anything because you're going to guess it because this is the easiest part. Okay. So he said, I got an American voice that said, uh, sorry, not available. I said, what the hell is going on? I thought I must have dialed the wrong number. So I dialed really slowly again. I got the American voice. I said, Christ almighty. <laughs> the police Gibson said, had not conducted any forensic tests or looked for fingerprints in 2004. And the coroner, who had once attended... This is... (laughs) This is why I pulled this quote, because the coroner attended a meeting of the Sherlock Holmes Society to conduct a mock inquest of the murder from a Conan Doyle story in which a corpse is discovered in a locked room. I love the British. I love nerds. So they found this guy because he did a like a mock trial. Right. He quote found himself stymied. 
Gibson said that the coroner had noted that there was not enough evidence to ascertain what had happened, and as a result, the official verdict regarding whether Green had killed himself or been murdered was left open. Another thing of note was that nothing from his super expensive, super extensive collection of Arthur Conan Doyle shit was missing. Hmm. Everything was still there. (laughs) So then, I put this quote in because we say this all the time. As Gibson drove me back to the train station, he said, Stay in your lane. (laughs) We don't know. And I must request that you stay in your lane. (laughs) I wish. He said, Please, you must stay on the case. The police seem to have let poor Richard down. Then he advised, As Sherlock Holmes says, When you have eliminated the impossible... Whatever, whatever remains, remains however, however improbable, improbable, must be, be the, the truth. truth. That's which my we say quote. all the time. And I lost I it. I say that about stuff like when you're like, he I emptied the cap. <laughs> no, that's good. He didn't text me back. I think he's just busy and you're like, well, well. <laughs> whatever remains. So, okay. The next person that this author contacted was a man named Owen Dudley Edwards. And this is how he introduces him in the article. Murder. Owen Dudley Edwards, a highly regarded Conan Doyle scholar, said, I fear that what the preponderance of the evidence... I fear that is what the preponderance of evidence points to. Who says that shit? (sighs) Nerds. Nerds. So... Edwards thinks that um, Green just knew too much about the archive. Hmm, possible. Here's another um, fun quote. We had arranged to meet at a hotel on the edge of the old city. It was on a hill studded with medieval castles and covered in a thin mist. (laughs) Not far from where Conan Doyle had studied medicine under Dr. Joseph Bell, one of the models for Sherlock Holmes. Open parentheses. Once, during a class, Bell held up a glass vial. This, gentlemen, contains a most potent drug, he said. It is extremely bitter to the taste. To the class's astonishment, he touched the amber liquid, lifted a finger to his mouth, and licked it. He then declared, Not one of you has developed his power of perception. While I placed my index finger in the awful blue, it was my middle finger, I, which somehow found its way into my mouth. Which is so fucking overdramatic. And also, I love it. It is like really cheap sleight of hand. I love it. They're all nerds. <laughs> Thank you. I just fucking love that shit. Yeah. So That's my jam. I'm on it. David describes Edwards as... A short, pear-shaped man with wild gray sideburns and an even wilder gray beard. A history professor at the University of Edinburgh. Does he look like Beethoven? Mm-hmm. That's what I, I think he's more bearded. Mm-hmm. Beethoven just had the sideburns. Mm-hmm. He has a full beard. Mm. A history professor at the University of Edinburgh, he wore a rumpled tweed coat over a V-neck sweater and carried a knapsack on his shoulder. Oh, Captain, my Captain. He's oh, like captain, the original Ted Poet. They all just leaned in so hard. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> another fun quote. Don't make spooky noises with your beer <laughs> bottle. So 
this is from the article. To Edwards, Green's death was even more baffling than the crimes in a Holmes story. And this is upon meeting him. He picked up one of the Conan Doyle collections and read aloud from A Case of Identity in the cool, ironical voice of Holmes. And I just, I put in the quote that he read out loud, but I don't think it's important what he read out loud. I think it's important that they met in a hotel lobby and he opened a fucking Arthur Conan Doyle book and then read a quote from it. They're so dramatic They're and I love so them. They're so dramatic. So, Edwards told the author that Dame Jean not only gave Green a glimpse of the treasured archive, but she also asked his help in transferring papers to her her solicitor's office. He said, Richard told me that he, he had physically moved them. So his knowledge was, quote, really quite dangerous. Um, he knew too much. He knew too much. He said Green was the biggest figure standing in the way of the auction because he had seen the papers and he could testify that Jean wanted them to go to the British Library. So then, soon after the sale was announced, Edwards and Green found out that Charles Foley, who was Arthur Conan Doyle's great-nephew, and two of his cousins were the ones behind the sale. But they didn't understand how the, like these distant relatives had obtained control of the archive. And he says, quote, all, all we were clear about is that there was a scam, and that, clearly, someone was robbing stuff that should go to the British Library. This was not a hypothesis. It was quite quite certain in our minds. Mm. Of his death, Edward says that Green had no history of depression. He had made plans with a friend to go on a trip to Italy the week after he died. And that it was inconceivable that someone who took notes on everything wouldn't leave a suicide note. Inconceivable. And here's another thing you pointed out. He said that he was garroted with a shoelace, but he always wore slip-on shoes. <gasps> and I wrote in parentheses, of course he did. Of course he did, because of he was a Holmes he fanatic. He wore shoes. loafers. He was a nerd. He wore penny loafers, because he, he wanted yeah. to be like Sherlock Holmes. I fucking knew it. Who the fuck shoelace was that? So, okay, quick pause. You know how I always say that, like, in every true crime thing, they're like, she didn't go to work, and, like all of her friends were like, that's really unlike her. Like, as soon as she didn't show up for work, they knew something terrible had happened because she would never miss work. She's always there on time. And I always say that, like, <laughs> because of my personality and who I am as a human, if someone murdered me, I would just, no one would notice for weeks because I'm so unreliable. Like, no one would... I would notice. No one... Well, what I would say is no one would ever be like, she didn't show up for work. That's so unlike her. Like, they'd be like, yeah, sometimes she calls in three hours into her shift and she's like, I just woke up! <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> but if I fucking got murdered, you would be the one that would be like, if I was fucking garroted with a shoelace or something, you'd be like, well, she always wore her Doc Martens. So that shoe... And that shoelace did not come from her Doc Martens yeah. and it did not come from her Converse and it did not come from her slip-on Birkenstocks. Mm-hmm. So where did it come from? And we also share our location and the second At your location stops being updated because your phone dies, I assume you've been murdered and I yeah. have 911... On speed dial. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That happened once you were on a date at a bar in Silver Lake, <laughs> oh, and yeah. your phone died, and you stopped answering me, and yeah. I kept checking your, your location, but it was saying, like, 34 minutes ago, 40 minutes ago, and I was like, she's oh, fucking she's dead. Murdered. Yeah, yeah. And then you were like, sorry, my phone died. Yeah. So, 
He always wears slip-on shoes. Another thing that Edward said, which is my, this is my favorite fact that someone has presented foot about fact. the case. It's the best foot fact. He said, the gin was a clear sign of the presence of a stranger because Green, an onophile, had had wine at supper that evening and would never have followed wine with gin. See, this is what you would say if I got <laughs> murdered because it was like if someone was in my house thing. and there was an empty martini glass next to my bed, like, you'd no, be like, who the fuck was here? Yeah, you'd be like, who the fuck was here? She only drinks beer and Jameson. Yeah. That's my favorite thing is he was like, he would never have followed wine with gin. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Okay, so then. It was someone he knew. David okay. Gran tracked down the American. <gasps> mm-hmm. Obama? <laughs> he tracked down Obama. The American lives in Washington, D.C., didn't want his name used. Obama. I bet it's Obama. Fuck, I didn't even consider that. Obama murdered that man. Okay. With a drone? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> so he, they met him at a, he met him at a pub. Uh, um, the description is, <laughs> I found him sitting in a bar, sipping red wine, because they're all nerds. Yeah. Though he was slumped over, he looked strikingly tall, with a hawkish nose and a thinning ring of gray hair. Not Obama. He appeared to be in his 50s and wore blue jeans and a button-down white shirt with a fountain pen sticking out of the front pocket like a professor. (laughs) So this is another fun quote about the American is, he was a longtime member of the Baker Street Irregulars and had, for many years, helped to represent Conan Doyle's literary estate in America. It was his main job, though, that had given him a slightly menacing air, at least in the minds of Green's friends. He worked for the Pentagon in a high-ranking post that deals with clandestine operations. Quote, one of Donald Rumsfeld's pals, Hmm. as Edward described him. He did it. One more fun quote, because this whole section is gold. He met Green through the Sherlockian community, he said. As members of the Baker Street Irregulars, both had been given official titles from the Holmes stories. (laughs) The American was Roger Prescott of Evil Memory, after the American counterfeiter in the Adventure of the Three Garadebs. And then Green was known as the Three Gables, (laughs) after the villa in the Adventure of the Three Gables. So they had the nerdiest Fucking nicknames. I want nicknames. Cat Stapler. You the have American. Cat Stapler. Oh, is it Stapler now? I'm like, sorry, Law I got distracted by Gables. Ugh, uh, this has been a long night. Now. In between the scary part and the explanation, I'm going to put in the Law and Order. Dun, dun. <laughs> now it's Cat Stapler, which sounds more like Cat Stapler is great. Okay, so in the mid 80s green and the american had collaborated on a bunch of projects relating to arthur conan doyle but then in the early 90s they had a falling out because of a quote rupture in green's relationship with dame jean which until this point we didn't know had i never heard about that no you knew about the relationship i never heard that there was a rupture yeah we hadn't heard about the rupture yet yeah because this is a really good point to reveal it david thank you (sighs) So, Green had gotten very close to the dame and was getting all these, like, family photographs and was getting all this shit from her. 
like, secrets about the family. And then she saw something that he got published and realized that he had been representing his views very differently than Mm. she... Like, he was, like, she thought he was twisting her words. Right. And she was, like, no more. The American was, like, I don't remember what he said. All I remember is that he said something that upset her. But Edwards and the other nerds were, like, the only reason nobody remembers what it was is that it wasn't a big deal. And the American went in and talked to Dame Jean and was, like, this is fucked up. Green is saying some fucked up shit. And he, like, played about her sensitivity sensitivities about her father's reputation and took some of Green's, like, candid words and twisted them and made her turn against him. Edwards said of the American, quote, I think he did everything he possibly could to injure Richard. He drove a wedge between Richard and Dame Jean. And then after Dame Jean cast Green out, Edwards and other nerds noted that the American kind of took his place and got closer with her. Little finger. Yeah. Edwards told the author that Green never got over it. Quote, he used to look at me like his heart was breaking. Because the dame mm. saw him as, like, the son she never had. And then the American allegedly like came in and, like, the, ruined yeah. it. So. <laughs> the American says, because I was Jean's representative, I got caught in the middle of it. And he said that they would go to nerd events, like Sherlock nerd events, and, like, Green would avoid him. Which is fair, but also everybody relax. <laughs> So, apparently, during the week leading up to his death, Green found out that the American was going to be in London for a nerd meetup. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't want to see him. I don't want to go. And then he just backed out of the nerd meetup. And then this is another fun quote. The American, quote, explained that during his visit to London, he had offered counsel to Charles Foley, who is one of the brothers who put up the archive for auction um, and discussed the sale of the archive at Christie's. But the American emphasized that he had not seen or spoken to Green for more than a year. <laughs> On the night that Green died, he revealed with some embarrassment he was walking through London with his wife <laughs> on a group tour of Jack the Ripper's crime scene, oh, <laughs> which no. is very much like I was getting liposuction. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So at this point in the article, it's hilarious. Edward calls the author again and is like, I have to talk to you again. There's like, a, I'm, we should link to this article because there's a lot that I skipped about like Arthur Conan Doyle's history and Green's history with Arthur Conan Doyle, but he had been getting like more and more loony. Hmm. Because... Green had. Green had. Because there's like, in the Sherlock Holmes fandom, if you don't have anything else, you can get obsessed And Arthur Conan Doyle had this thing where he, like, started getting into spirituality and stuff, and a lot of the really logistical people who, like, were really into the Holmes shit were like, this is unacceptable, this is very weird, I don't know how to reconcile this part of my hero with the other part of my hero that I revere, whatever. So Green went down that rabbit hole and started getting fucking loony. So, a fun quote from the article. Several hours before Green died, he called his friend Utekin. I don't know where that name is from. 
Green had asked him to find a tape of an old BBC radio interview, which Green recalled, quoted one of Conan Doyle's heirs, saying that the archive should be given to the British Library. His friend said that he had found the tape, but there was no such statement on the recording. Green became apoplectic and accused his friend of conspiring against him as if he were another Moriarty. No. I know. Also, from context, I get it, but what does apoplectic mean? Enraged. Okay. Um, Finally, Utekin said, Richard, you've lost it. So Edwards had been, since the author of this article had contacted Edwards, Edwards had been also talking to their friends and getting more information, and then the author had been sending Edwards everything that he's finding out. So Edwards was like, I, now that I have all this information, it's very clear that Green had been, like, going down a path to, like, complete irrationality. Yeah. He said to the author, there was the fact that there was no evidence of forced entry, and there was the fact of the wooden spoon which he, like, couldn't reconcile, reconcile with murder. He said, quote, he had to have used it to tighten the cord like a tourniquet. If someone else had garroted oh. him, why would he need the spoon? The killer could simply use his hands. He says, I think things in his life had not turned out the way he wanted, and the Christie's sale brought everything to a head. He said, I think he wanted it to look like a murder. See, this is, I thought this, like two paragraphs ago and I was going to wait till the end but I was going to say did he kind of go loony commit suicide and perfectly frame it as or like intentionally frame it as like the perfect Sherlock Holmesian mystery yeah that's where he led a bunch he left a bunch of clues leading Mm -hmm. up to the death killed himself in a way that seemed like he couldn't have done it himself and then purposefully misled everyone by not leaving a note and by leaving weird clues around. Yeah. Edward, okay, so Edward says, that's why he didn't leave a note. That's why he took his voice off the answering machine. That's why he sent that message to his sister with the three phone numbers on it. That's why he spoke of the American who was after him. He must have been planning it for days, laying the foundation, giving us false, false clues. Yeah, and then he would purposefully, like, you know, he had a trip planned. All that shit. Yeah. It's like, he wasn't, yeah. But then that leads me to go... Whose voice did he get for the answering machine? I'm about to explain that to you. So, then the author goes to see his sister, Priscilla. The sister said, Richard compartmentalized his life. There are a lot of things we've only found out since he died. At the inquest, his family and most of his friends had been startled when Lawrence Keene, if you'll recall, Mm. Lawrence Keene, who was nearly half Green's age, announced that he had been his lover. Mm-hmm. She said no one in the family knew that he was gay, and it was something he never talked about. Mm-hmm. She also said something very interesting about the archive and the will, which is, which only came to light after he died, which is that Dame Jean, while dying of cancer, had made a last-minute deed, which split the archive between herself and the three heirs of her former sister-in-law and Conan Doyle. So what was being auctioned belonged to the three heirs and not to Dame Jean. Okay. And the British Library came to the conclusion that although it was kind of shitty, it was legal. And then it turns out that all of the most important papers that, like, Green was banking on to write this biography ended up at the British Library anyway. Oh, no. Yeah. 
She saved the she most important one. Stacked ones. the deck. Mm-hmm. It says Dame Jean had not allotted the most important documents to the other heirs and had willed those to the library. Because she also knew that they didn't know what she was giving them. And she knew that that, needed, that shit needed that to that be needed in there. That needed to go to the library. Yeah. So what she did was she took the most important shit, put it in her quarter of mm-hmm. the deal, and then gave them the three that were like, my dearest love. Yeah. And then guess what? I'm writing the a new book. The library bought no the rest of my... the important shit. Of course. Yeah. I thought you were going to say earlier that the nerds pooled their money to, <laughs> to get it no, at auction. No, the library bought it. Of course. So it all ended up in the right place. And Gibson says the tragedy is that Richard could still have written his biography. He would have had everything he needed. Oh, I'm going to cry. I know. I just almost started crying. And then he, so the author goes, before I left, I had two more questions. The first question was, what about the fucking answering machine? Mm -hmm. And Priscilla said, it's not that complicated. The machine was made in the United States and had a built-in recorded message. So when you deleted your personal message, the default was in an American accent. Damn it. Yeah. I almost asked this at the beginning, because the reason that I asked you what year this was was because I was trying to figure out if it was a physical answering machine or if it was, like, you know, how on our phone now it's not... I was wondering if it was like there was a tape and you had to record because that was a huge part of my hypothesis. Yeah. God damn it. And this article is so good because it doesn't fucking talk about it until that moment. It's like David the last two pair- Yeah. Thanks, David. Our new hero. Is he our Paul Holes? <laughs> <laughs> He's our Paul Holes. Okay. And so then he was like, here's my second question. What about the phone numbers he sent you? And she said they were two reporters that her brother had spoken to and someone at Christie's. Yeah. So it kind of sounds like cut and dry. It was a suicide. The author of this article says, for all my attempts to build a case that transcended doubt that it was suicide, there were still questions. Hadn't the police told the coroner that an intruder could have locked Green's apartment door while slipping out, thus giving the illusion that his victim had died alone? Mm Mm-hmm. Wasn't it possible that Green had known the murderer and simply let him in? Right. Yeah, that was my thing. And how could someone, even in a fit of madness, garrot himself with merely a shoelace and a spoon? Yeah. Before you say anything, here's the final fun quote. This is the last line of the article. His sister glanced away as if trying one last time to arrange all the pieces. Then she said, I don't think we'll ever know for sure what really happened. Unlike in detective stories, we have to live without answers. We don't know and Doesn't that stay make you in your lane. <laughs> yeah, it totally does. And it's also part of the reason that we do this podcast. Yes, because we're trying Priscilla. to like learn to live like enjoy the story and not get caught up in I really needing to know. Honestly don't think it was a suicide. You can't because only because you would pass out before you died. Yeah, you would pass out before you got to the point that you could truly garrot yourself, yourself with a shoelace. To death. Yeah, it's when I was researching. But he was this, so smart. I feel like maybe he could have figured out a way, like some kind of weird. That's the question. Holy system, or so you know what I mean? Like something. There must be, some, but but a way in which, like, without the help of gravity, you could end your own life before you passed out and went limp. No. That's my, I have been thinking about this all day, where it's like, there is, you can choke yourself and hang yourself, but it's, 
you can't. I also want to know more about, because you said that he was, like, surrounded by, like, Sherlock Holmes books and posters. And gin and stuffed animals. I'm curious, like, I want to know which novels they were. Like, I want to know if there were, like, clues left in... I bet there were. Because, as we all know, that the fun thing about Sherlock Holmes is that he'll be, like, there was cat hair on her shirt and it was obviously from a calico so I knew that she had to blah 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 so it's like I feel like there are so many fine minute details to this that we'll never know that maybe have the solution like like how he wouldn't drink gin after wine right but which sounds silly but is also very Holmesian it's super Holmesian and like we just said earlier like that was that's something that like if it were you and me you would for sure be like there's no way that Mm -hmm. she was having a martini at her house she doesn't do that Uh, I just like I want to know more I want to know more there's not a whole lot of information that's also all those clues are things that a Sherlock Holmes enthusiast would set up if he was going to fake his own like fake his own murder yeah but why why would he fake his own why would he want to die is my question unless although okay so the article the part of the article that i skipped as i said earlier was his like descent into madness about Mm -hmm. arthur conan doyle and his weird spirituality stuff but i just don't i don't buy that that's enough to he might have been depressed i mean everyone was like we're always shocked when someone kills and he lost dame jean which was like a huge part of a huge part of his life i mean we wonder why Robin Williams killed himself. We wonder why. I don't wonder why Robin Williams Well, but you know what I mean? Like, people were shocked when that happened. Yeah. Like, not, I mean, I think it's different because you and I have depression and we understand, like, it's it's shocking in, in some senses, but in others, like, it doesn't surprise us to find out that someone had depression and that it was severe enough to commit suicide, but... yeah. I feel like, especially if he was hiding his sexuality, especially if he lost Dame Jean, especially if his life's work was about to be ruined because he couldn't get a hold of those, the the archives. Like, I feel like there are a lot of reasons. And I think also in that madness, maybe there was like this compelling force that felt like he could be a part of the mythos in a way if he created Absolutely. his own Sherlockian mystery surrounding his And I think he also truly believed the American was after him. I do too. I mean, I'm sure he was super paranoid. Oh, yeah. He, like, descended into madness. Yeah, because he was so paranoid that someone was after him and I'm sure that he... And another thing that happens in that scenario too is when you're convinced someone's after you is sometimes you take your own life to prevent them from getting to you. Yeah. If it was murder, though, and let's just indulge this possibility. I don't think it was the American. I don't I either. It was some, some fucking asshole from, I bet it was one of the foils. Is that their name? <laughs> Foliers? What? The guys who were in charge of the auction. Oh, from Christie's? Yeah, but it was Arthur Conan Doyle's net, like, great. Mm. Oh, here. Foley. Mm-hmm. His great nephew and two of his cousins. So if cousins. someone like put out a hit on him, for example. Oh, for sure. And then it staged it to look like a suicide stage as a murder. But they also would have had to know him, right? To get let in. No, because someone could have knocked on his door and been like, I have information for you about mm-hmm. the case. He was super easy to manipulate. Yeah. And I think he also like would have recognized one of the 
The Foley brothers. One of the Foley brothers. He would have recognized anyone in that world. If any one of them came to the door and was like, hey, I want to talk to you. Maybe we can work something out. Yeah, exactly. He was Do you super, mind pouring me a gin? Vulnerable. Yeah. Yep. Possible. Okay. <laughs> Step one. Identify the mystery. Why do people like Sherlock Holmes to the point where... Qui bono. No, that's part two. That's step two. I know I'm skipping because oh. the first three steps are what's oh, the mystery. Yeah, what's the mystery? Okay. So what's the mystery the only... we have for <laughs> You know what's so funny is that out of those five steps, the first two are what's the mystery and the last two are mysteries are hard. The only <laughs> beneficial step in that whole process is qui bono. Yeah. Qui bono, the people who are auctioning off the estate. And, you know, what's interesting that I just thought of is if it was Arthur Conan Doyle's Foley nephews who were like we are selling it but then if his fucking asshole kid Adrian was in on it he would have recognized Adrian and Adrian could have been like hey it could have been anyone in the family yeah cause he's been giving them grief for decades and also and this may speak to it being a suicide or it may speak to it being a murder but whoever killed him whether it was himself or someone else then arranged Sherlock Holmes paraphernalia around him. Yeah. Which almost seems like a tribute. Like, if it was not him, either he did that because he wanted to die surrounded by the stuff that meant the most to him. But I'm thinking, like, if I put out, a, like, if I'm going to go murder a guy that I know personally mm-hmm. over a Sherlock Holmes archive. Put out his bong and his. Then I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to leave his books around. I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. set it up and like, like a little weird If I was going to murder tribute. you, I would put out World War Two books. So, but also my Hayward. question is, do we know anything about the forensics of this? There were no fingerprints? Nope. Nobody did any forensics testing. They didn't take any fingerprints. Because they ruled because it Because they were suicide. like, it's a suicide. Which Damn makes it. it feel like it's some kind, like. The government was like government hiding stuff. something. They and it goes back to the thing where they were they like didn't contact. Did someone get paid off? They didn't contact Gibson, who was like, my phone records indicate I talked to him every day that week, and no one and no one said me. anything. They were like, oh, it's a suicide. But I also think that could just be because they were like, it's clearly a suicide. This nerd killed himself. <laughs> you know, I feel like the garroting. Doesn't make sense as a suicide. Mm-hmm. I feel like... Even if you had a spoon. The spoon doesn't convince me that he killed himself. Right. At all. Right. The spoon is weird, but you could also use a spoon to stir a gin. I don't care. Like, the spoon is... Yeah, or you could use a spoon to spank yourself. Like, it doesn't... The spoon yeah. is a spoon. Or it could have been a fucking lover of his. Yeah. Did we talk about that? No. It could have been but a lover only, who yeah, didn't want to be outed. Lover we, the only lover we know about is Keen, who came forward. Did he come forward out of guilt because he was, because Green was going to out him and he didn't want to? I don't know. He outed himself. He was like, I don't know. We were fucking. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but could it have been a lover? I mean, because, you know, the first thing you do in, in a homicide is like you look at the spouse. Like, was there, yeah. could there have been other lovers? Could there have been someone that he had some dirt on that he, or someone that he it was going to just... out? I feel like I'm so torn because I f- I'm torn between his paranoia, like thinking that he was being paranoid and, and thinking that he was right. Right. I don't think it was the American because the American it was like I was watching. I'm on pretty a- sure if you are admitting that, that your you're on a Jack the Ripper, was whatever it was, and yeah. you were on a Jack the Ripper tour, it wasn't you. I'm pretty convinced it wasn't whoever he thought was after him. It wasn't the American, but it- I I don't think he killed himself. I don't either. <sighs> 
Another mystery ruin. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that was such a good... That, Isn't that, that a good might story? be my favorite one you've ever done, actually. Really? Because, because I've been looking at that one for weeks. I just love... Uh, like my, you know, my, my shit is like, I love World War II. I love Dickensian stories. I love Sherlock Holmes. I love, mm-hmm. I just love like weird cobblestone British shit. And like, mm-hmm. and this I love, so cobblestone-y. and I love a noir, but like, this is such a true mystery. Mm-hmm. Like it's a true mystery in the sense of like a classic mystery. And, and that it makes sounds, me happy. I got to the end of it and I was like, Ugh, this feels kind of cut and dry. Like it feels like the article was leading and all the inf- like all the articles I read were like leading me to think it was a suicide and then in the end it's like it wasn't but then I thought about it for six minutes and I was like no it's not clear at all well and also just talking about it right now like we convinced ourselves it's both ways it's clearly not clear yeah that it's mm, it's such a good story it makes me mad because we convinced like it's so easy to convince me of either thing and I don't know but that's what makes it a mystery it's if you can be swayed easily to either side then neither of those sides are correct. Yeah, and as we know, like, we don't know. We don't We know. never know. We don't even know when it's happening to us directly. Yeah. At <laughs> yeah. the window of yes, the Yes, yes, you're correct. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, my yeah. God. Also, my computer's gonna die, so we have to wrap up soon. Okay, great. Do I'm... you have any important business? No, I'm so... You can follow us, as Henry Zabrowski says, on all the bullshits. Yeah, just follow us on all the bullshits. It's not um, fine. God, that was so good. I wish we could, like, leave on like a note that is less like on a more satisfying note yes why yes. would we yeah no we never do we never do but Great. um wow yeah I love that mystery I'm I glad that you did mystery. it I love the mystery of when we got scared <laughs> me too by your sister what a fun happening yeah I guess in the in the in the spirit of our podcast we're just gonna leave this with an unsatisfying conclusion yeah and we're all together going to learn how. Don't do it, because we have to do our tagline. We're all going to learn together how to be a... I'm sorry, I cut it to make it really unsatisfying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks for sticking around for those five seconds in between. Um, we're going to have to leave it unsatisfying, and all, together we're all going to slowly learn to be okay without the answer, and we're going to learn to just enjoy the stories as they come to us i'm wildly uncomfortable me too i feel floaty we don't know we don't know stay in your sherlock lane stay in your lane stay in your nerd lane just stay in your fucking lane in every aspect in every aspect (sighs) goodbye okay bye (laughs) (laughs) it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.